why is this issue of return? Return. Why is return instead of establishment? If you live in a place for donkey years, yeah, the, the idea is that with naturalization, with all the things, you now have the constitutional rights, you have the legal rights, you have everything. You have the passport. So the only thing that differentiates you where you live is, is your color, is your complexion. So why, why, why people contemplating return? Hmm. That's, that's, that's a very interesting question. And that takes us to the concept of race. And I would argue that we can understand this and what they are experiencing through the, the, the prism of race, right? Because you have, for example, you have Australia, which was, um, and New Zealand to an extent, which were actually penal colonies of the United Kingdom. What this means was that they were actually using those places as prisons for offenders in the UK. But the people are not trying to return. Why? Because yeah. they have a, it, the place is considered home now, right? Yeah. But for black Africans, in quotes, we'll still unpack what it means to be um, to, to be considered black because it's not it's not a biological or natural fact. It's a social fact, right? It's a socially constructed fact, which has material implications. African Americans have never been accepted as being American, and that's why you still have Black Lives Matter today. Exactly. 400, over 400 years after the first, um, uh, we're talking about the first landing of when we talk about 1619. So why has this been the case? The case was that the earlier people were not, they were used, right? The initial were indentured kind of servitude, in, in, indentured servitude. But then it got to a point where there were so many other whites that were also indentured servants, right? So you can... Yeah take that all the way to the 17th century. Fast forward that. There were some people that were actually slaves, but those people could also be free, right? They would work for a particular time and then they would gain their freedom. And what, we can take it back to a specific year, actually, um, the Nathaniel kind of Bacon um, Rebellion, which was in 1676. What this rebellion did was that Nathaniel Bacon at that time had um, some issues with the governor of, of, um, of Virginia. And what he then did was to rally around people that had been oppressed, the oppressed class. We're talking about the Irish, um, so many other people, even some, some Italians and also the black, right? That had yeah. been... Um, so the rebellion was very successful to an extent in that they, they, they actually raised Jamestown to the ground. So at that point, there was this fear and... I want to emphasize that slavery has always been an economic venture. Okay. Right? And that's what people, yeah. and that's why, even if we expand slavery into the two um, arguments about why racism and slavery as well, right? Slavery and racism, how the two of them are connected? Because they are, they are almost intertwined. It's difficult to unpack them if you look at the history. There's this argument that it's a psycho kind of cultural thing, right? That people are, have this aversion towards anything that is dark. Right, so it's not just black. Anything that is dark, naturally, we have an aversion to it. Right, that's some argument. Right, that's not very convincing. And today, you don't find so many people in that argument. Then the other one is the socioeconomic one. So the socioeconomic one says that race itself, right, the creation, the invention of race was to achieve an economic end, and the culmination of that was slavery. So how can you put somebody that looks like you? 
treat them like animals and feel good about yourself. When you claim to be a Christian or a Muslim, how do you justify that? The best way to justify that is to say that they are not humans like you. And this is where the concept of the subperson comes from, right? So you can say this person, well, this person looks like a human, has hands like me, but they are not humans enough. So, and that has been at the heart of dehumanizing blacks or African-Americans in the US. So for several hundreds of years, even after there was the war, right? Yeah. The Civil War in the US, and there was the 13th Amendment that granted some, um, obviously, some, some political rights. Um, there was still fight for civil rights because I said, okay, fine, we can grant you citizenship, um, but you still can't have civil rights. You still can't vote. You still can't do so many things. And even when that was eventually, um, when we had in the 60s, when we had the, when we had the strong Martin, um, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. and Malcolm X, Malcolm X and Rosa Parks, and they were, they were eventually granted, um, you know, granted rights to, 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 to them to be, for example, they could then be in school um, with, with, um, in the South as well. Um, there were still some other aspects of, of this de facto racism, which we still have today. And that one is like in police brutality. How is it that a black person is not treated in the same way as you would treat another person? And that was one of the reasons why Muhammad Ali actually relinquished this position as the world cha as the heavyweight cha champion of the world and refused to actually go to Vietnam to fight. Because he said, I went to the Olympics, I won a gold, but there are still sections for me at the cafe, right? So there were sections for, for colors. He couldn't actually enter through the front door. So it was like, no, if, if somebody that comes from Europe today is more American than myself because of the color of my skin, how do, you, how do you expect me then to, to see myself as being American? Because before anything else, it is my skin that is used to, to, to determine my destiny. Yeah, right? yeah, and then you find, yeah. And you find Martin Luther King Jr. then talking about people being judged by the content of their character rather than the, the color of their skin. In that, in the I have a dream, the very, the very famous uh, kind of I have a dream speech. So these, yeah. you, can, you can link all these things and that sense of belonging has not been there. The way people have been treated, they've not been treated as citizens. And that's why a lot of people have been muting, wanting to come back to Africa. Like, right. is there a way for us to find where we will be treated as humans rather than as persons? Whether it is the jury, the one that was legalized oppression, or the de facto one where the law does not explicitly state that you're not a human, but there are institutions it, that's what we then call institutional or institutionalized and structural racism. Yeah. Which, you know, you, you know another fear with regards to that would be that, you know, once you, uh, any phenomenon will come up, um, we begin to look at other dimensions and possible attributes to that. If let's say now we want, okay, let's there be a return and people start repatriating and, you know, loading themselves back in ships or in maybe aeroplane this time around. <laughs> and yes. Landing in Accra, land, landing in all these all these uh, cities, it means that we are now we are trying to now reverse the world to its colonial states, right? Where 
if I'm a Nigerian, I cannot travel. I just have to be a Nigerian. If you are British, you are just British. You cannot go to another country. So the issue of diversity, right, becomes another question we want to look at now. So that if that becomes the case, that is the possible danger we might be looking at, isn't it? Yes. And, and, and it's very interesting that when we, and, and that's what you and I would have experienced, right? When we hear a lot of people throw these concepts around diversity, inclusiveness, um, so many aspects of this, right? You can trace it to liberalism, right? They'll say, I'm a very liberal person, or now you have the left, the left being at the forefront of inclusiveness. They'll be like, okay, I'll be at, and it's not just racial, there's also gender inclusiveness, right? And there are so many other yeah. forms of inclusiveness and, 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 and integration that people try. But if you, if you go to the bottom of these ideas, you find out that mo most of the time, they are tokenistic. They are at the very surface. They are like window dressing. They don't go to the heart and the root of the problems, right? Let me give you an example. Um, in the UK now, you find people talking about, talking about inclusiveness in so many spaces, which is, which is a good thing, right? It's a good thing. I'm not going to say that's not good. It's a good what thing. Do you, yeah, but if you go down to the, to the root of it, right, let me give you an example. We're talking about compensation for, for slavery, right, and for the different atrocities. Even colonialism is part of a chain of atrocities because one co is connected to the other, right? And that's, that's the connections we've not really made in, in, um, that I've discovered within literature in Nigeria. And Eric Williams is, is somebody that can help us to make this connection. I've, I've made that through Eric Williams and Charles Mill. Because Eric Williams believes that there's a connection between slavery and capitalism. That without slavery, and he's talking about transatlantic slavery here, there wouldn't be capitalism, which, which was actually kickstarted through the Industrial Revolution that the British were actually at the forefront. They were pioneers of, right? He believed that the products and all the um, aspects that drove capitalism came from the slave plantations. Sugar, cotton, um, you know, tobacco, all the different other things that were actually raw materials that were used um, and drove um, the Industrial Revolution that torpedoed the West actually to the summit of, of, of global um, kind of dominance actually came from enslaving Africans, right? Yeah. And then if you then look at colonialism, and that's where the jump comes from, right? And even I'll be able to link it to today. If you then look at colonialism, Colonialism, to an extent, some of the justifications for colonialism was actually to end slavery, to legitimize trade, to find trades that are more legitimate, right? And you find out that even some of those, um, if, if we go to Congo, for example, the justification for King Leopold II, who committed one of the worst atrocities in the history of mankind, over 10 million um, Congolese were actually killed within that period, was actually, he got that mandate right, to actually stop Arab slave trade, which, which involved, Tipu Tip was the most notorious kind of um, Arab slave trade at that time. And that was the beginning of Belgium then taking over, right, the, the, uh, and then making it a Belgian colony and then was colonized. In the case of Nigeria as well, it was part of trying to stop slavery. That was part of the justification for it, right? Lagos had been seeded as, you know, annexed in 1861-62, but after the Berlin Conference, this now became more important. Like, we have to stop this, 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 um, this, this trade here. And that became a kind of noble thing to do, right? Rather than seeing it for what it was, 
in terms of the exploitation and the subjugation of people that don't exactly look like us in terms of physical um, pigmentation. Nothing else. It's the pigmentation. And you, obviously, there are some other pseudosciences that that time so many people believed were actually science. And that's why even science today has to be questioned, right? Because at that time, people believed all this thing. They were talking about um, lip. They were talking about lips. They were talking about craniology, the size of the brain. And somebody came up with just one person that was considered to be African and then made that generalization to say Africans, actually, it's not about the size of the brain. It's actually about the quality of the brain, that the brain of this person. And you didn't even know if the person you actually operated had Alzheimer's. This was an autopsy. <laughs> so you can see, and that was masquerading as science, right? And that underpinned so much racism and, and justified atrocities like the one we saw in, in, in Congo and even in Nigeria, because we don't talk about that much. There were so many things that happened in Nigeria as well. Yeah, I think, I think that uh, the, the worst that should have happened to the Nigerian system is that I'm not sure if it is all over Nigeria or in the states where I come from, is that uh, they no longer teach history. It, it, history has been yeah. removed from from the curriculum I, i'm not i'm not sure maybe uh, nigeria as a country we are scared of you know teaching our children about the the, the civil war um hmm. consequences and then probably some people might get offended and think uh, they want to take some certain arms against uh, the government or something but to me, to me i feel that we should know their history if i have my children yeah. i'll teach them yeah. history. they will need to they will need to know in yeah. the totality of their existence and circumstances that led to where both science, yes. I think the scientific aspect of it, to teach them biology and how they came to this world and then yeah. teach them why and how they got to Britain yes. so that yeah. they don't think, because we need to, like I, as a person, I used to tell people that I see myself as moving from Obudu to Abuja, all right, as the same way of moving from Abuja or moving from Nigeria to the UK. So uh, I'm still well in touch with my culture. I'm still well in touch with my tradition. I'm still well in touch with my people. So I, I, you, you cannot, you cannot push me anyhow and say, hey, "Who are you? Go back to where I go. I want to go back to where I come from anyway." So if I can move from Abuja, from where I come from to Abuja in five hours, and I can move from Abuja to the UK in five hours, for the five minutes or thereabouts, I feel that I'm just on the journey, right? I'm, I'm a visitor anywhere. That I can go, I have that, so that gives me some sense of pride that I am, right? Yeah, yeah. but some other people that link is now cut off, okay? Yes. Which, which is now which is now a problem. That link is, is, is no longer yes. can I identify. All you know is that you are existing uh, in limbo, you are existing somewhere where yes. up there you are not there, down here you are not, you are not, so you are in between, yeah. all right? And of course, that to me is very apprehensive itself to exist yeah. in that kind of realm where you cannot tell exactly where you belong to and where your future can 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 be in the next 20 years and where your children will be in the next 50 years or even after one decade you know that alone is what should give uh, a typical african-american sleepless nights that something is wrong yes. that alone i yes. think will push people to do things that ordinarily they will not want to do you know yeah. in the that kind of situation. If you live in a yeah. community where you are not accepted, what do you do? You want to you want to start showing that look. If you don't accept me, I'm going to do something crazy. Now yes. So that kind yeah, of that's thing. a that, that's a fantastic point because I think that was also at the very that was a deliberate actual act. That was a deliberate act in slavery, actually, right? To yeah. totally annihilate the origin of those people, 
So what, and there were no passports at that time, right? And what they yeah. did was that the only thing they had was this slavery, this slave manifest of the port where they departed. Okay. And, and that was it. So it was deliberate because they knew that at some point, some people could want to trace their origin. So, but the thing was, they were just basically treated as chattels. So, so some people have, that were actually transported more recently still remember because there was this guy and there, there, were, there were two different other aspects of this. There was this guy actually, um, I don't know, uh, Barakun. That was the, that's the book, Barakun, um, The Last Slave Ship, which was in 1860, actually. There was this guy, Kojo Williams, who was on that ship. And this guy actually was interviewed in, in Barakun, The Last Slave Ship. And the ship was Clotilda at that time and it landed in, in Alabama. And this guy was able to remember much of what happened. And how he was, and this was after slavery had been abolished for, that was several years after it had been abolished, but they were still kidnapping and selling people. And yeah. that would then take me, that would then take me to African elites, which is an interesting point here, mm -hmm. right? Because when I'm making this argument, and it's in one of the papers I'm making, and, and I don't think that's a very new thing to say, that African elites are anti-knowledge. Anti yeah, okay. Now, the, 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 I, just, I just have to end you there because I know that that's 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 another passionate way, another passionate topic you are bringing. That so it's a dimension yeah. entirely to this. Uh, the question yeah. might relate to that directly is now yeah. is that this sense of return. Let's say yes, people are now people are prepared to return. All right. Yeah. Another question would have been okay. Is it how is the reception? All right. What could, what is the attraction? How is yeah. the ground? Is it prepared? Just to link it directly to yeah. your, your, your comment about African elite. Are we prepared? Yeah, but, yeah, prepared. That's the thing. I'm, that's where I'm going. So in terms of the knowledge, in terms of the knowledge now, return to where? Yeah. So the thing is this, it goes back to race. Because, and that's the myth of a single African. You've had some people talking about Pan-Africanism. It's a good idea. But at the heart of this is because they're saying your skin looks like that person's skin. That's where the concept of race comes from. So you're saying once you're African, it doesn't matter if you came from Angola. At that time, there was no Angola, those sites. Or you came from Cameroon. We can all lump all of you together and say you are all Negroes. Right? So yeah. it's at the very heart of that, that the concept of the return from so many other people have been built. And which is a good thing in terms of, the cultural aspect, but we have to understand what that does when we reproduce it. The concept of blackness itself, because they have also used that to also then tell us that Africans were complicit in the slave trade, right? They were saying we were not kidnapping people because besides Portugal, there was no other European country that had people going into the hinterlands to kidnap people or to take people. It was people, other indigenous and native people that were actually taking people and bringing them to the, to, to the shores, right? Bringing, bringing them to, to the shores, right? And you have that argument that Africans were selling their own people. So why should, we blame, why should you blame us for enslaving people that don't look like us, those that look like them? So, but the argument here is that Africans were not selling Africans because there was no concept of being an African at that time. These were different people. Bini Kingdom or your empire, they were, they were vastly different people that didn't see themselves as being the same because they had similar skin colors. So it was the concept of race that then helped to forge the identity to say, okay, all these people, they are sub-Saharan Africans, they are black people. So if you're saying they want to return, 
fine. But what does that do? Mm-hmm. Like, when people yeah. return, what, what happens about that? Have we unpacked the different politics that led to this exodus in the, in the first, first place? place. Yeah. Which is still going on. And you see the concept of, of tribalism, of, 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 and I, I, I was, link, I was I'm linking that with the anti-intellectualism and anti-knowledge here, right? Because that in itself is a weapon of domination. If you can make sure that people don't know this history very well, especially the type of history that is taught, how are they going to be able to understand that my, even my own position as an elite is shaky, Right? And I'm, I'm saying this now that if you look at what is the foundation of statehood, a lot of people tell you that because it's a democratic state, right? I'm going a little bit into political theory now. A lot of people tell you that the foundation of it is that because it's, it's, it's legitimate because it's a democratic state. Democracy does not offer legitimacy. It does Yeah. The, the only thing it does is that it says everybody within this community, at least the majority, in a majoritarian kind of um, democracy accept this person as a leader right to represent us but how did we come about that political community in the first place democracy does not talk about that because democracy cannot offer that that goes to the social contract because let let, let us have this thought experiment um and justin yeah it's possible for us to go back in time to when there was no state okay right it's possible for us to go back in time to when there was there was no yeah. community there was there was no country right yeah. so how did the first people that agreed to come together how did they agree from coming together to form a small hamlet right from coming together to hunt to kill a giant water buffalo from coming together to to to, to, to kill a big animal how did people do that right so we if we go back to the social contract then we start talking about people like thomas Hobbes. Who, talk, who differentiates between pre-social contract and the social contract. So what he says is that in the pre-social contract, life was short, nasty, and brutish, right? Because people were living for their own, which meant that Justin would be sleeping under a thatch, just you, nobody. Somebody could just come and see that, ah, come, he has food, I don't have food, they can kill you and take your food. But then people discovered that, wait, for my own benefit, it seems I have to gather with other people and form a community, right? And that was how people then traded some of their own individual rights and then gathered together to form a social contract. So it is that social contract that then expanded into becoming a community and then a state. In Nigeria, the social contracts we had were abolished by colonialism. So colonialism didn't totally abolish it, but it superimposed itself. So let me give you an example. We have, the gov- we have the president today and the governors in Nigeria today because of that superimposition of the racial contract. Because when the colonialists came, there were different kingdoms and empires and caliphates within Nigeria that had their own monarchs, that had people that... They, they, have, they, 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 have, they have their own, their own democracies. Running. Exactly. They have their own different. For example, in the Southeast, they had their own form of... It's, interpreted as egalitarian society where, where there, there was no monarch per se. And that was why creating the, the office of the warrant chief actually led to serious chaos. Like, wait, 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 we don't, we don't do that here. You know, that was a serious problem. Unlike, in, in, like, for example, in the North as well, they had to conquer the Sokoto Caliphate because they had the caliphate system. They had emirate systems as well, right? So they had to, abort, they had to superimpose 
their own contract of the concept of the state, Westphalian statehood, on that one. So that is the foundation of Buari today. But yeah. No elite would want you to, to know that. They don't want you to go that. Because if you go to proper history, you'd unpack that. That democracy is just changing the government and saying that we all accept you as our representative. Yeah. But what, what, what makes every individual, what makes us subscribe to that political community that then means that you are the representative of that community? And at yeah. what point can we withdraw? Can we withdraw? You know, can we withdraw that legitimacy or not? I agree. I agree. I agree with you absolutely, and that and that's the reason why in recent times we have been talking about talking about uh, uh, bundling the entire place called country Nigeria and looking at how we can return to true federalism because people think yes. to people think to believe in these colonial kind of systems we had before. Yeah. Where if you if you are if you are if you are south now you know that okay you are from a particular ethnic community in the south now you want to identify in the south rather. You want to identify and do things the way your own parents, your own ancestors used to do them, the way you accept people, the way you elect your own leaders, the way you want to run your own leadership systems. All of these were, like you said, very different. They vary from kingdoms to chiefdoms to caliphates. Yeah. As, as yeah. The case. And that's where now, like you said, it's going to be, I think I like that point. You know, it's going to be a little difficult now for uh, for any return given now that we have states so if i want to return now to nigeria where's my state <laughs> am i going to be yeah it's a very and, complex and, and, it's a very complex situation yeah and, so if, and, if i return I if I, somebody was saying it was a bill of catastrophe it's about it's there's it's a limit it's a limit to thinking you know like how do we how do we how do we actually sort this out and, and like if Liberia, like let's use Liberia as an example. Liberia is one of those, those kind of archetypal kind of success stories when it comes to return, right? Yeah. And that in itself, because so much of the issues that we had in those times have not been resolved. Yeah. Liberia had its own issues because those that returned then denied some natives of citizenship. Until 19, until early 20th century, actually, there were some native librarians that were not given political rights, the same rights that were denied to Native Americans, right? So basically, it's, it was a logic that was learned. And until Tolbert was, act, William Tolbert, the, the, the president of Liberia, was actually assassinated, right? Was killed in the coup um, by, by, by Samuel Doe. There only American librarians at rude Liberia. So that meant that it's only people that had ancestry of returning from the U.S. had their ancestor return. Yeah. That rule. So that was a different. Yeah. If we look at so if we if we push the issue of return, we are actually going to shift the goalpost. Is that what that's what that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> we we cannot return. It's not it's not an easy that, way out. It? It's we have to we have to unpack so many things. What does yeah. it mean to be an African? What, what what systems have we had in Africa? In what ways have we evolved to what we have today? In what ways can we make our continent work based on the various um, kind of structures that prevent us from achieving our ends? And in that way, we can even see, I was mentioning Charles Mills earlier, see the racial contract here. Because I can tell you, success in global politics is not just about hard work. Yeah. Yeah, there has yeah. to be you have to be accepted in particular way. If you're yeah. not accepted in particular, you know, it's, not, it's not just in politics, it's not even in global, yeah, yeah, capitalism.
smart way. International, international business, Absolutely. all of this. It's just yeah. how to do it. Being accepted yeah. somewhere, somehow. Absolutely. People, tariffs and everything. People can use just tariffs and subsidy to totally collapse your market. And yeah. for example, there was, there was forced refusal um, and even infrastructure as well. And that's why most of the, the colonial empires, it was easier for all the people within the colony to travel to the, to, to, to the, to the kind of cosmopole, to, to be able to go to the, to the main city. So London, for example, all the Anglophone countries, it was easier for them to travel or trade between their own capitals and London, mm -hmm. rather than moving from there to anywhere else within Africa. That's why it's easier to go from Lagos or Abuja to London than to go to so many capital cities in Africa. Yeah. Because infrastructure is not just there. It was, it's, not, it's not just thought to work that way. Right? So, so these are things that for us to have a proper um, kind of success story with the return, which is a very noble idea, we need to go down to the roots of how people left in the first place. How, how was it possible for something this bad, something this evil, to go on almost unabated for centuries and as we mentioned it's still ongoing in libya people were still being enslaved in, Li yeah. in libya and yeah. there are so many africans in even in the middle east that are held in slave-like conditions right there's the kafala system that domestic um workers are still held as slaves basically their passports are withheld that they don't have rights work rights or civil rights in that aspect. So how do we do that? And also there's another aspect of us not, and I'm talking about the history, which I agree with you in terms of us not teaching history and how that is part of the anti-intellectual, anti-knowledge um, kind yes. of aspect. It's, you know, we still glorify slave traders within African societies. So many, so many statues are being destroyed in other parts of the world, but we have a statue in Lagos, a monument to somebody who was a slave trader, right? That's, that, that's, a, that's a good point you've made because... You know Tinibu Square. You know Tinibu Square in Lagos. You know Tinibu Square in Lagos. Yeah. Madame Efuro Tinibu was a slave trader. Many empires that we mentioned now actually engage in this. Even your, your empire, it's on record. <laughs> so how do we... How of, do course, we of, of course, they, 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 cannot, they cannot emirate as well. It's not... It's not, it's not yes, it's not yes the Sokoto Caliphate the Sokoto Caliphate was very involved in it, right? And yeah. what's his name? Bishop Ajay Crowder, right? He was actually abducted by, by invading um, Fulani army at that time. That was how he was abducted. And for example, the Dahomey as well. And in, even in, in Benin today, which is the Benin today, they still have a statue to Francisco de Souza, who was the most notorious slaver in history. This guy independently... <laughs> he independently transported more slaves than anybody else. You know, that's, but there's a start. That, that is a side of the story that is not told, and, and I wonder is, how, how that is because apart from apart from transatlantic trans uh, Sahara, how about the intra-slavery uh, trade that took place within us? You know, absolutely. Because we see we see have we see have this thing written in histories and in some communities that as you point out to people that will tell you their great grandparents benefited a lot from. Slave trade. They were doing this kind of Absolutely. slave trading. They had big farms. They have big communities, yes. and it was only slaves that were working in those places. That is, they, they actually, if it is a homophobic type, I think that is not is not it. But that's yes. intra and that internal slavery story yes. is not being told. We're only which also, yeah, 
which also fed into the international one because there's what is called pawnship, right? And pawnship gave birth to pen yarring. We call it pan yarring because pan yarring was a bastardization of pawnship. The pawnship system was that, let me assume I owe you some, some money or I'm borrowing some money from you, right? Yeah. And Justin, Justin, can you, can you borrow me like 5,000? Five, 5, let me say borrow me like 50,000 uh, naira. If you borrow me the money, if I default by the pawnship, by me signing to the pawnship, you can seize me and use me to work to make that 50,000. Once if I've made that money, you can use me on your farm, use me on whatever, then we tear the document, then you release me. That was going on in most West African kind of societies. But when the Europeans then came, they then transformed that into panyarin system. What the panyarin system did was that they now called it man snatching. So they would just go to somebody, you owe me money. I, I've never seen you before. Just grab them, put them on the ship. They actually sold so many chiefs that didn't accept that were anti-slavery. They sold them into slavery because of that. You just take a chief. Like, once you have a soldier, you just grab them. We gave you so, so, so money. You've not paid it back. Where's, where's the plow? You cannot deny it's your, boy, it's your word against theirs. So this was something that fed into the social system and the cultural kind of um, systems that were inherent in those societies and then were actually abused and used to achieve the ends of the slavers and the merchants and so many other. So you can see that if we go back to, go into the heart of the, what, what we'll do is Because in, in, a few, in a few seconds, 30 seconds from now, this session will end. So I just appeal to all the people that have joined us, maybe three or, or two other people to hang on. I will come back again so that we wrap up um, uh, this interesting topic. And then of course, it's not going to be completely wrapped up. We'll just give it another day where- Yeah, there was time, yes. Yeah, so we join again. Thank you, please. Thank you. Yeah.